Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today, we're doing another off-season opportunities episode, and this one's near and dear to my heart. We're talking about New Zealand. So stay tuned if you've ever thought about going to New Zealand or are interested in a really cool place to go in the off-season. Hey, Baxter. Oh, you preempted me. <laughs> oh, I beat you. Winding up for the hey, Josh. Um, <laughs> dang it. All right, well, I'll get you next time. Um, well, today, man, this is this one's fun. I, uh, this is a tough one to do during COVID because I don't, I don't know how, how you can get down to New Zealand right now, but this is, uh, this is a really timely one because New Zealand is an amazing, amazing place to hunt. I think it's the single best over-the-counter public land opportunity existing. Um, and it's a really good one for guys to wind up for and get ready for the next year. Um, just kind of start planning for it. So hey, that is a bold yeah. statement. The best over-the-counter DIY hunt you can do. I think so. Yeah. As far as like exotic, you know, like going somewhere outside of the U S season. Yeah. Yeah. What makes it so awesome? Uh, it's pretty darn simple. It's insanely easy to do. Yeah. It's not incredibly expensive for what you get. Uh, you basically can go sheep hunting for, you know, a few thousand bucks. Um, and you have an unbelievably unique and massive set of opportunities. There's tons of public land, tons of different types of animals, uh, zero tags, zero seasons, zero limits on big game animals, which is fascinating. We'll get more into that. It's a place with no predators. They speak English. It's easy to get all the stuff you'd get. It's just a dynamite um, place to go. Really cool. Holy crap. There's a lot to dive into there. Wait, hold on. First, yeah. there's no tags. There are no tags. And you how many different in? Yeah, like to probably 10 or 20 big game animals. There's, there's really the big Whoa. three, the ones guys go after. There's um, chamois, which is a little mountain goat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is the Himalayan tar, which is probably the most famous. It's only New Zealand and the Himalayas. The only animal other than a lion that has a mane. So it's a mountain goat. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of guys say, hey, I can never go sheep hunting in my lifetime. It's too expensive, but you can go sheep hunting in New Zealand wow. for no, no tags. And then red stag, which are really cool animals so the, unfortunately there's a lot of misconceptions a lot of high fence hunting and stuff guys see about new zealand that's not true they think it's really expensive um yada 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 but we'll get into that gotcha dang yeah. so no tags and oh yeah i do remember you mentioning to me one time that there's no predators so there's just mm-hmm. a ton of these animals with they're just overpopulated completely right yep yeah new zealand's a legendary you know i've been four times now uh, for a lot of reasons and guys that's the other thing is guys will hear that and they go like, oh wow you must be a rich guy it's yeah it's not cheap but it's not insanely expensive you know especially if you're on the west coast a direct flight is it's direct it's easy it's like a grand grand and a half we'll go into uh, cost and break that all down uh, but it's a famous fly fishing destination right because there's no predators for the fish either uh, but what happened with the country is they've you know, there was a period of time where they introduced a lot of these exotic big game animals and there are no natural predators there. So they've kind of exploded in population. And uh, it's really fascinating. They, they actually pay people to shoot them out of helicopters, bait them, they poison them because there's just too many and they want to get rid of them. So we'll talk a little bit about the, the ethics and dynamics there later, but it's a very different experience from the U.S. where we have, you know, populations we're really trying to foster, trying to grow, 
you know, wildlife management is essential there. They're just like kill everything you can. So really weird dynamic, um, but you know, good one for hunters, I guess. Yeah, and I think you said uh, told me once that you can bring the meat back, which I was pretty surprised about. Yes, that's probably the last big selling point for New Zealand is you go out of uh, out of the country for a lot of places, and it's really difficult to bring things back. Um, but New Zealand is a CITES country, C-I-T-E-S. I don't even know what that stands for anymore. But essentially, it means that there's the U.S. knows there's nothing in New Zealand. New Zealand is insanely uh, protective of its environment. You go to New Zealand, you have dirt on your boots, they'll clean it in the airport um, just to make sure nothing gets into the country. So the U.S. knows that, and they're very, very comfortable with you bringing back anything. It's like a one-form thing. You just hand them at the airport, and you're done. You don't have to go through customs and do all this crazy – well, I mean – other than flying back. You don't have to go through an extraneous process. You just bring it on the airplane. Um, so it's really easy to get meat back and horns. You know, I had stuff shipped. Um, and it's generally not that expensive. You know, the conversion rates are pretty good, although the way our dollar's going, maybe not, but uh, for the time being, pretty good. Yeah. And so how did you first hear about New Zealand as a hunting or fishing destination? Yeah, this is actually a pretty fascinating one. Um, the first time I went to New Zealand was with my dad and it was a trip we both saved for a long time. And it was kind of this amazing, amazing, uh, fly fishing trip, right? That was kind of my passion first and probably still foremost passion in life is fly fishing, you know, hunting with a, with a, a rod, not a gun or a bow. Um, and New Zealand's like the epitome of big game f- trout fishing. You know, the fish there are huge. There's not a high population density. It's all about stealth and spotting them, spotting stock, getting close. Um, so a lot of the same elements from hunting and I kind of, we went to New Zealand and when we got there, uh, I'd never hunted big game. This is before I got into hunting. You know, I was 20 at the time, mid college, I think. Um, and we hired a guide for fly fishing cause you definitely want to do that your first few days. It's just so unique. You couldn't just show up and do it. And he just handed me a gun with a silencer on it. <laughs> oh. I was like, what the heck is this man? And he's like, oh yeah, if we see a deer, just shoot it. Um, and of course the first thing that goes through my mind being a U.S. hunter is, oh my gosh, what are we doing? We're poaching. This is not okay. This is, you know, it was a very like, whoa, I don't, you know, I don't want to do this. Um, but you know, after a few days, he made it pretty clear. No, it's like anyone can just shoot anything at any time. It's no big deal. It's just crime. It's opportunity, right? Like Mm -hmm. we see something, let's shoot it. Let's eat it. I'll bring it home. And I have stuff for the kids, you know, to buy meat. Uh, so that was kind of the first experience I had with hunting there, but I didn't go to hunt. You know, I just went to go fly fishing. I was like, "Whoa, that was kind of crazy and tucked that away in my mind. And then when I got into hunting a few years later, um, you know, I got really interested in, I started the rifle stuff first and was really, really interested in the Himalayan tar sheep hunting. I really liked in the same way. I like a lot of things about elk hunting. Sheep hunting is pretty similar. It's really intense. It's, you know, a very hard animal to get to. I think sheep hunting with a rifle is something like, you know, bow hunting elk, right? It's, it's a low odds, very difficult thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, that was kind of what I wanted as the pinnacle of the hunting and um, realized that New Zealand's the only place I'm going to do that for remotely affordable, affordable deal. And so I'd been working at a company for three, four years and managed to talk the CEO into letting me go for three weeks. Um, I took uh, some paid time, some unpaid, unpaid time, which is really cool. And spent two weeks uh, traveling around just hunting with that fly fishing guide. You know, um, didn't pay him. We just went as buddies at that point because he Mm -hmm. was like, oh, this is a hunting trip for me too. Uh, Spent two weeks doing that and then spent a week driving around in a camper van fly fishing. 
Uh, wow. So that's, that was when I started hunting New Zealand um, and I've gone back once or twice. So it's, it is a really cool place. Yeah. And so you said the three big ones that people go for a chamois, tar, red stag. What is it that I, I'm, I'm guessing you went to hunt tar that second time? You know, we did uh, that first trip, we got all three. Um, and that was part of the fun. You know, I think one of the craziest things, there's a lot of big misconceptions about New Zealand. So maybe we hit those first and that'll, yeah. that'll lead into why we did it, how we did all three. You know, the first thing that happens is guys Google New Zealand uh, and they see these canned stag hunts, right? Mm-hmm. They see, uh, oh, this monster stag, it costs $10,000 to shoot it. And guys go, oh, that's horrible. I would never go to New Zealand. That has not helped. I've talked about this on other other podcasts, I am. I don't like to stir stuff, but I also like to call out stuff I see as extremely wrong. Um, and a lot of big names in the hunting industry go over there. They pretend they're doing over-the-counter public land. They pretend they're bow hunting something elusive, and they shoot one of these t- basically tame giant stags. It's really, really easy to tell if it's not a native stag mm-hmm. uh, after you've seen them. And that leaves a really bad taste in guys' mouths. They think New Zealand's super expensive. They think it's this destination they can't go to uh, all the guides there the people guys i've talked to are like it's ridiculous we can't carry cartridges in our pockets because the animals think we're feeding them and come running over it's it's horrific Whoa. so i really do not like that side of it um mm-hmm. so let me start off by saying everything we've done in new zealand is it's all public land it's all over the counter it's not you know these aren't farm-raised animals and there's a really big difference there so just for guys that are getting into this for the first time when you google hunting new zealand because there's a ton of money there, you're going to get pounded by internet results for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be pretty hard to get around it. So that's misconception number one, right? So we're doing public land. And misconception number two is that everyone sees helicopters um, in the New Zealand experience. Um, and there are, you know, it's legal to shoot some animals out of helicopters and you get the same guys that'll drop 20 grand to kill an animal for their living room that go down there and want to just shoot things out of a helicopter. Um, it's legal. Nothing wrong with that one like legally, but it's not for me. But here's the thing about helicopters in New Zealand is they are dirt cheap. Um, so they're deregulated. The US, you know, hiring a helicopter, there's insurance, there's liability, there's a ton of overhead. You have to be a business. In New Zealand, anyone can just, like the liability laws in New Zealand are way, way more friendly to business. So they basically say, if you were there, you knew the liability. Hmm. That being said, anyone can have a helicopter in their garage <laughs> and hire it out. So if you're looking at a, for a three to four person helicopter to take you an hour, about 45 minutes to an hour into the backcountry, which is a long way, trust me, it's harder than you'd ever want to walk. Um, and then coming back and get you is only 500, 800 bucks. Mm-hmm. Insane. Right? You can split that between three or four guys. It's like 100 box round trip to have a helicopter drop you off 80 miles into the back country. Right? <laughs> really yeah. incredible. Wow. So anyway, those two different kind of misconceptions, like guys see all that and they think they use their US lens on how that looks, but it's really different. So when we went this time, we for those three different animals to bring it all the way back around, uh, we did three different trips with different helicopter trips in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was part of the agreement with my buddies. He's like, I'll, you know, I'll help you. I'll you can use my car. We can use my gear. Uh, a lot of my gear, uh, we can go to places I know. You pay for some of the helicopters and we're done. So we're looking at three helicopter trips of about 500 each and for two weeks of the best hunting of your life. Um, mm-hmm. Really cool. Wow. Really cool. And so when you went that second trip with your 
buddy, not, not the first one with the fly fishing. Um, mm-hmm. and you went, did you go with the intention to go for all three or were you kind of just more open-minded? Like, let's, let's see what happens. Yeah. You know, I really, this, the, in my mind, the tar was the one I really wanted. Right. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, there's overlap between all three of those animals, right? You'll see them in the same places somewhat, but they're not all very common in one area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we decided to do three different areas that were better for kind of each of them. Wow. So the, there's very, very dry areas. Um, and there's different areas in New Zealand, right? There's North Island, there's South Island. Um, South Island probably has the most, oh, excuse me, the most stuff uh, as far as hunting opportunity, most private or sorry, public land. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we ended up just going to the South Island and, you know, I hate hot spotting or talking about locations on this. We even disguised where we all hunt, but <laughs> you couldn't, 200,000 guys could hunt New Zealand a year and you wouldn't have a big problem. I'm sure the wow. wouldn't love it, but there's no, no problem with overcrowding New Zealand. We're not going to do Dang. that with this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to a pretty dry area uh, to hunt the stag. And so there was, it's kind of a place that's known for them. There we went to a place that's kind of bigger mountains, a little wetter, a little more rugged kind of mid Island that was known more for chamois. And then we went to, you know, the really high mountains uh, with glaciers, rock, all that, you know, sheep hunting country for the tar on the South part of the Island. So we did all three. Um, and we saw red stag and chamois in the first two. Uh, and then we only saw tar in the last one, but, uh, dang, that's nuts. You could do like three completely different kinds of terrain and big game animals all in like a week or two. Yes. That's easily because the helicopters you're in, you're out, you know, you're moving. So it's pretty, wow. pretty incredible opportunity to go um, do that stuff. And you think it's one of the best training opportunities guys could ever do for a lot of reasons. One, you're hunting totally different types of game. This, you know, I don't want to create the misconception that it's easy. You know, it took us five days to find a stag on one trip. Like they're not, they're not just like running around and you knock them over. Like it's mm-hmm. still hunted. It's public land. People are there. You know, Kiwis are keen to use a Kiwi word. I mean, you, these are guys that don't think twice about a 20 mile hike. They're Dang. Kiwis are intense. So it's, they'll put pressure on stuff. Um, but it's still a really good public land opportunity um, to go after. So it's not, uh, you know, it's a really, really great option for guys. And then the other one, which I almost hesitate to bring up because it's, triggers a lot of oh, did I use that word triggers a lot of like us reactions is that uh, so what happens is doc department of conservation in new zealand is tasked with destroying a lot of the animals to keep the the balance right because otherwise mm-hmm. they'll overrun the areas so what they do is they'll take a census of a certain area and if there's too many animals they drop poison or they shoot them Right, or they pay market yeah. hunters to go kill them or they gun them down out of helicopters, mm-hmm. uh, which is horrible. Like big game hunters hate that because New Zealand doesn't really recognize the resource they've got, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so their hunters are kind of second class to what they, they view as saving the environment. So because of that, all the hunters, every time they go somewhere, they want to eliminate as many animals as possible, especially if it's a non-target species, goats in particular. There's tons of goats in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Uh, huge goats, you know, world record goats, which I could care less about, but some guys do. Um, and so every time you go to a location, all the Kiwis, especially if it's one of their good spots, they want you to shoot as many animals as possible because that way doc won't come in and destroy their hunting spot. Oh, right. And the government wants you to do that as well. Everyone wants you to do that. So, um, 
it's a bit morbid, but that's, you know, as far as practice and the amount of experience you will get as hunting animals, you know, shot placement, that sort of thing, you can, you will, you hunt more animals in a few, in a week than you will in 50 years in the U S you know, they might Dang. want you to shoot 20 or 30 goats the last day you're there. That literally 20 or 30. Yes. Literally 20 or 30. They'll typically, they wait to the last day because you don't want to mess up the area. Mm-hmm. They'll shoot 20 or 30 goats and they'll leave. Um, and that's just kind of the standard standard thing. You know, they, right. they get very offended. The guides and other guides there get really offended if you don't do that. Cause it's, it's seen as you like not participating and helping the New Zealand environment. Right. Um, right. Which well, is really, it's really big, you know, mind thing for us hunters, right. To get over that and have that mm-hmm. change. And, even saying that out loud, sometimes people, you know, anti-hunting sentiment would be like, what the heck? But if you go to New Zealand, that's the anti-hunting sentiment is actually asking you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. right. The environmentalists want you to do that. So that's really interesting dynamic, but it's a great, you know, I think I learned a lot about, uh, I think my learning curve as a hunter went through the roof uh, from a week or two in New Zealand, because I learned so much about shot placement, about stocking, about all the things you know, you might kill a, a deer or two a year if you're in the West, you know, in the East, you have a, f- a few more opportunities, but you might kill a deer or two a year, but there, if you're killing 50 things in a week or two, you're, you've got that ex- crazy amount of experience. Yeah, that is crazy. And as a new hunter, um, I would still consider myself a new hunter. I still haven't shot anything. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I've shot some stuff with the rifle, but not the bow. Um, but I do want to mention that, yeah, my first hunt, I went to a uh, big game hunt. I went to Texas private property, um with a buddy and yeah i got to shoot help it was a coal hunt so they were getting rid of like a certain amount of does and bucks off the property that they had to get off the mm-hmm. property and so i got to shoot i think it was two bucks and five does in a weekend and i didn't yeah. expect to do that i thought maybe i'd get to do one shoot one you know mm-hmm. and for me it was a great experience because i had never even put a rifle scope on an animal ever in my life and, mm-hmm. and, and never seen one get cut up and butcher and all that. So for me, one weekend to get to, I had two questions I wanted to answer for myself is like, one, would I be able to handle that pressure? Like all that, that, that single moment, like, would I be able to execute the shot? Okay. And then mm-hmm. the second question was, was I going to be like super squeamish around the guts and the blood? I just hadn't experienced that before. So I didn't know. And that's why for me, it was an, a great appeal to get to have that experience and answer those two questions for myself. And, uh, yeah, I was able to keep it under control and I actually really liked the butchering. So I was yeah, like, I remember that maybe hunting's for me, you know, I remember we had explicit conversations about that. You're like, oh, do I want this hunting experience? Is this okay? Yeah. I mean, I think it was fantastic for you. you got a heck of a lot of meat too. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was great. I still got some of it. Yeah. Um, I bet. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and I think that's how guys have to go into this is like, it's a really, cool experience and it's an, a unique way of doing things and you know it's this one's cool too because you're going to get that and you'll get crazy backcountry experience in one of the most beautiful locations on the planet right yeah maybe um, we cover um a few of the logistic items and then yeah. we can dive into tactics i know you got some stories too in there but yeah uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah well it's um you know, think logistics wise you know, we could do kind of all the logistics and the cost and that sort of thing all at mm-hmm. once but you know, you're going to look at a flight direct from LA or San Francisco if you're in the US, likely. Maybe Seattle, but most of them are out of those two destinations. It's uh, really easy to get to, which is fortunate. It's a 12 or 13 hour flight, and people hear that and they go, oh, that's horrible. 
but hear me out. Since it's over the international dateline, the time change is only three or four hours. I can't remember which. It's a very small time change. So basically, you get on a flight at nine o'clock at night, take your Ambien or whatever you take, watch a movie, pass out, you wake up at 9 a.m., boom, you're in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a great flight because it's overnight, it's straight, it's direct. You don't have to do anything. You show up and you're there. So very, very easy. Um, as far as the cost, the, the flights, you know, nowadays is really different, but the flights are only 800 to 1500 bucks if you, you plan it out, find a good time, do all that, you know, the right stuff, right? So it's not super expensive and guys will bulk it out to go, oh man, like a flight across the country is like 500 bucks. But the way I would say that is view it as your tag, you know, view that as your tag and your transit. Right. Mm-hmm. So in an elk hunt, you're going to pay almost a grand for a tag these days. And you're going to pay at least $300 for even just gas, probably five to 800 if you're flying stuff around. Right. So mm-hmm. same cost. Right. Um, so not that crazy. Getting a rifle in the country is very easy. I mean, you Google it, look at New Zealand's rules, look at the airlines. I am not a lawyer. I'm not going to tell you all the details. But you know, when I went last time, it was very, very simple. You just register ahead of time. You declare it when you're leaving the country. You show up. You're like, I have a gun. They're like, cool. Give them a $25 permit fee. Policeman in the airport just looks at it, makes sure it's a okay gun. Any hunting rifle usually is. Um, and you're done. That's it. That's your permit to hunt. You're, you're in the country. You're set. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pretty darn easy. Um, How about um, time of year? Yeah. And that, oh man, I forgot that. That's probably the biggest sell of this. It's the off season opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, the peak of New Zealand hunting is really in that April ish, May ish timeframe. So the, uh, the red stag are actually a, uh, they're a very, very close relative of the elk. And there's a lot of problems in the US with stag farming where red stags get out, they interbreed with native populations of elk. That's a whole nother thing. Um, some really cool books and other things I've read on that and why that should be banned. But they're very similar to elk and they have a rut in the fall. Um, so, but that rut, since they're in the Southern hemisphere is six months opposite. So basically just take September, uh, which what is the ninth month and you add three months to that. That's kind of like end of March, early April. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the stag rut. So if you want to go for that, you can go there. So you're kind of going in New Zealand fall. Um, you can hunt them year round. No problem at all. Like you just might not have horns. You might not have the coats you want on this, the, uh, tar and the best time to hunt the tar because of the coats is generally like a month or two later in the winter when they started to really grow in. Um, and the tar coats are unbelievably crazy. They look like shag rugs, like beautiful, beautiful coats on those. And a lot of guys really, really want to just tan that coat, have it around. That's a beautiful animal. So by winter, you mean New Zealand winter is at like our summer in America? Basically. Yeah. That'd Dates. be April, May, June. You may okay. June is kind of the typical time because they do get intense winters there. You, you can't, you couldn't really go in our December, right? It would be cold. So it's kind of yeah. our, our November ish. So mm-hmm. that's the time frame to go. You can go any time of the year. You could go dead middle of the summer and hunt, which is pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just easy to get to easy to, to do. And it's nice because a lot of guys that live in these, you know, like me now living in Idaho, it's going to be cold in March and you're going to fly down and it's going to be fall. You know, it's going to be 60 degrees, 70 degrees during the day. Wow. Um, crisp leaves. You know, it's a really cool way to rewind, you know, live the eternal fall, right? <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned uh, bringing a rifle there is pretty easy. Would you say most people go rifle hunting there or do some people go bow hunting as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, you can do both. And I would say it depends on the terrain and the 
the animal you're targeting. So New Zealand is famous for really open country. You know, a lot of the stuff, the hunting they do is above tree line, essentially. They call the tops um, of the mountains, which is kind of knee thigh high grass and shrubs. Um, so that can be really difficult for bow hunting, um, but it's very possible. I think it just depends on your attitude, right? I think if you're going to treat it like an elk hunt, you're like, I'm happy to get something and I want it to be a fun trip, bring a bow. You're going to have a great time. Like it'll be good. You really don't see many or at almost any Kiwi bow hunters because there's no like advantage to it. The reason a lot of guys do bow hunting here is there's better seasons. There's earlier seasons. It's cheaper, or at least it used to be more accessible. I mean, it's about as bad as rifle hunting now. Um, so you can do both. You know, I would probably take a bow just for fun, but or you could just bring both. Like, again, it doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'd say most guys are going to rifle hunt there. Uh, and it's going to still be a challenge, you know, rifle hunting. Yeah. Uh, but so I'd say if you're, if you're going to do one animal with a bow, I would probably go for, uh, you go for the tar or mm -hmm. maybe you could do red stags and really thick stuff and try to call them in. But whoa. So how's, um, success rate with bow compared to rifle? Like, you know, U S bow rifle, like those mm -hmm. differences versus over there you know they don't even track it right because oh, there's wow. no tags there's no nothing so oh, they right. don't know um <laughs> you know i think tar there's certain areas where tar are relatively easy to hunt if you're not worried about the size of one and i've seen you know when i'm there i saw arrow you know arrows stuck in bushes or things like that so i know that people had done it and i know that from talking to the guys down there people had um, shot things with the bow. I still haven't been back to New Zealand with the bow. The last time I went was before I got into bow hunting four or five years ago. So mm -hmm. it's been a while. Um, I would really, really want to get back. Um, but you see it, it's common. I think it would be phenomenal practice for guys. Uh, and it's some of the areas are conducive to stalking. You know, chamois are extremely wary, but they're kind of live in these rocky, higher environments. You could kind of get around. Um, red stag will be like elk they'll bed down you can hunt the mule deer style so if you want to do it no stopping you but i think just given the limitations a lot of guys will use a rifle gotcha okay wow that sounds like so much fun to go with the bow uh especially yeah. if you don't really care the size and you just want to like get a lot of repetitions under your belt build that confidence mm -hmm. um it's almost totally. like i think uh wayne from the archery shop told me as I was prepping for my first elk season, his advice was, Hey, go shoot a bunch of squirrel and rabbit, you know, like it, mm -hmm. with a bow, like get reps under your belt and confidence shooting animals. Yeah. But this is like, wow, you can get those reps at actual big game animals that are delicious. that you can bring home. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, the, without a doubt, you'd have a few opportunities at goats. You know, I don't, I don't even really talk about them because they're not kind of a quote unquote target species, but you will, you have those opportunities. So, you know, if you're truly just looking to get something with a bow, that would be, you know, way to go do it. Um, and it's, I mean, it's just a cool, cool place. The terrain, it's one of the few places on earth where the terrain doesn't really make sense to you. Like you look at it and it just looks genuinely different, uh, wow. which is really cool. Uh, but it's, and the nice thing, you know, we mentioned it a little bit earlier with the predators, but there's nothing there that can hurt you. Oh yeah. There's no predators. There's no poisonous spiders. There's no snakes. There's literally, you could run through the bush naked at night not that I've done that or anything, but uh, <laughs> you would not have any problem, right? Dang, um, the thing cool. that can get you there and you have to be really careful of, I would definitely recommend an EPIRB is uh, it can be rain and it can be water because stuff can come in quick. 
and rivers can go up fast. Um, Whoa. We had a pretty gnarly encounter fly fishing one time with a helicopter because we use those two to get into places where we plan to be in five days. Uh, you know, it's out in the, the middle of nowhere in the ocean, right? It's down near the Arctic Circle. So stuff can come in quick. And we had a sat phone that worked 30 minutes a day when the satellite went right over this deep canyon. And we called the helicopter pilot every day just to be safe and uh, called him one day. And he's like, he's like, get, we need you out now. Like Whoa. now. Uh, Cause it's, there's something coming in that's going to be in for like the next week probably. And we can't get you during that entire time. Um, Cause it's all visual flight. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're like, we're in an area we can't get picked up. The bush is too thick. There's no landing spots, you know, take us a day and a half to hike back to somewhere. Uh, he's like, don't worry about it. I'll find you. <laughs> what the hell what? is that? What the hell is that supposed to mean? <laughs> um, so we were fishing. We got out into a big flat area of the river. I mean, it's just a jagged river. Um, the guy flew over us three times, and uh, we're, we're just looking at each other like, "What the hell? Like, is he going to drop a rope? Is he going to do a little? Like, what's oh how the hell is this going to go down?" You know, your adrenaline's spiking, uh, and he came in really slowly really really slowly he found a big rock about the size of a guy and he put one skid on the rock <laughs> no so he held the helicopter there reached over pulled the door back with his other hand looked at me he's like get in <laughs> holy no way and i looked over to my dad and the guy we were with and i was like really because <laughs> you got i mean you realize that the helicopters they've got blades about four or five feet over your head that's right? insane so he slips the thing off the side of the rock yeah like a it's dangerous to the helicopter but b the blades kind of get near the top of the rock and guess who might be on the rock um, oh my gosh but this guy was an ex-military pilot he was incredibly good when he came in uh and like you said i mean it was now or get out of there in a week we didn't have the food for that we didn't we were not prepared for that um and so we did it. We got in. Every guy that got in, you got in, and the skid kind of slowly slid off the rock on the other side. But the guy just held the. It basically, he was just holding the helicopter static in the air, and the skid just happened to be kind of in that proper vicinity. That's and, insane. Um, so weather checking weather it must be really important, or is that even pretty really important? Yeah, and New Zealand will be wet, mm-hmm. right? It'd be the one one place I'd be taking full rain gear on every hunt and okay. good rain gear. Um, yeah. The Kiwis actually have a really interesting way of dealing with it because, you know, we talked about Gore-Tex and it's phenomenal. Um, it's, that's the best stuff on the market. But at the end of the day, like if you're doing any sort of exertion, no waterproof um, outfit or gear, excuse me, is ever going to stop that from making you clammy or sweaty, right? Mm-hmm. So the Kiwis, you know, there's a lot of weird things that happen on isolated islands, but <laughs> the Kiwis wear long underwear and shorts. Well. The polypro underwear and shorts and that's their way of dealing with it they're like we're just going to get wet anyway but this will insulate us when we're wet um, oh interesting it's a really fascinating it's a really classy look you know these short shorts <laughs> and long underwear um but that's it you know it's a good tip and it actually works really well um it's a great way to do it so bring the rain gear try the polypro thing definitely check the weather uh, any other any other uh, gear logistics or gear differences that we should touch on before jumping into lessons and tactics? Yeah, you know, I'd say definitely, you know, make sure you book helicopters ahead of time. You contact pilots. You, you know, you can any any helicopter agency there will do hunters as well. They they do multiple things. There are three streams of revenue: or tourism, uh, loggers, or people that go into the backcountry to you know, access resources, like commercial, and then mm-hmm. hunters. Gotcha. So 
just Google, you know, helicopter companies, they'll all give you rates and they'll even tell you spots because they take hunters in all the time. Mm-hmm. If you just say, Hey, I don't know any spots. I'm looking for public land. Can you arrange it? But yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big one to get nailed down. That's probably the most important one. Uh, I'm doing a lot of talking about helicopters. It's really possible to go hike in. There's lots of places where helicopters aren't allowed. Make sure you go there if you are going to hike in, because it'd be really sad to hike up and see a helicopter. <laughs> um, but that can be done if you really want to go budget and spend under two grand for an epic, epic. I mean, even with a helicopter, it's like two grand, but you know, you get my point. Uh, so that's good logistics. I'd say the second one is train for those shots. Uh, you are going to make long shots. You're going to make very steep shots. It's really rugged terrain in areas. Um, it's pretty intense. Uh, that's why it's such phenomenal practice, but you're going to, you're going to push your limits on, you know, difficult shots there. So, Whoa. uh, definitely get ready for that. I would say if you're going to go to New Zealand. Yeah. And then do your personal shot ethics change when you're there because of the way the country's ethics are? Um, I don't know would be the short answer to that. I think, you know, well, yes and no, I'm going to shoot things that I would never shoot before. I remember, uh, you know, I was shooting a stag and we'd taken us five days to find when we finally found one. It was like 200 ish yards. I dropped down belly. You know, I have a seven uh, millimeter rem mag at that point, pretty powerful recoil and ultralight gun. Um, I shoot, drop it. I'm over the moon. I'm ecstatic. We've been backpacking for five days. I turn around to the guide and I'm like, yes. And he looks over at me and is like, what the hell? And I'm like, what? He's like, keep shooting. That's my winter meat supply. Wow. Uh, and so he really wanted me to shoot the, uh, the cows, the calves, everything. Yeah. He was screaming at me to do it. So I would obviously never do that in the United States. Um, I mean, in the East coast, yeah. Cow, uh, does you'll, t- you know, you'll do on dough permits, that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. so it felt very different and very odd, but you know, it's him saying, we want that. And it's actually funny. The guys there, they target the, the big mature, you know, males for the horns and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But 90% of the time they don't find something that's up to their standards. So they don't shoot it and they end up shooting mostly the younger ones. Cause they know they're, you know, they're ones that taste best and they're also, you know, killing the population. So right. the females and the younger animals are the ones that are going to grow up and populate. So, right. uh, very different. So in one sense, yes. In other sense, no, like I think at the end of the day, like you as a hunter have a responsibility to not really, you know, make it as swift and ethical as possible for an animal if you're going to kill it, like right. full stop. And right. that doesn't change if it's, doesn't have a permit or it's viewed as a pest or it's, you know, whatever it is. I mean, if I'm shooting a rat in the basement with a pellet gun, I'm, you know, I'm not going to take a marginal shot. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't want that thing to suffer, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't, I treat it the way I want to be treated. So it's so yes and no. It's a short answer to that. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so now in terms of like the tactics, do we want to cover like the three different big game animals or are they generally the same? How, how do you want to tackle it? Yeah. I mean, it's, maybe we just talk in generalities cause I've only hunted a few times. Um, you know, there is, I'm pretty confident in saying, Hey, I know, you know, a, a generally 80% of the tactics and I can talk mm-hmm. to them, but I've, you know, and by New Zealand standards, I'm a complete newbie. Um, but yeah, we can hit we can hit all each three and just, just talk about the things I've learned. So hopefully that helps guys. I and mean, that's the purpose of this whole podcast. It's just to like yeah. help guys learn. Um, yeah, and exposure I think is really good to this because uh, even though I've heard you talk about it a couple times, there's still a bunch that I'm learning now. Yeah. Um, I'm sure 
landscape and terrain go along with the tactics mm-hmm. and earlier you mentioned some areas where you went to like a drier area and then other one was like a really like thick area and then another was like really rocky is yep. it pretty varied there sounds like it's it. really varied i mean one part that we hunted looked like california you know dry with you know sparse is <laughs> sparse ish wow that's a hard one to say trees mm-hmm. and then one area was like super lush rainforesty and the other looked like you know 10 or 11,000 feet in the Rockies. So three very, very different looks and feels. Um, yeah. How's elevation? It's pretty low. Oh, yeah. Really? Cause it's not, you know, it's near the, uh, it's so far South that it's like, you know, tree line drops as you go further North in the United States. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, it's much lower, but New Zealand is actually probably the equivalent of like Alaska or Canada in distance from the equator. It's just that it's in warm waters, which kind of mm-hmm. moderates the, the temperature mm-hmm. so it you know, feels and acts like you're in idaho montana or something or Whoa. even in california but it's much further north so that being said tree lines much lower and the mountains are generally a little lower yeah um, where you do you remember the animals do you remember how many thousand feet like will people get elevation sickness or don't have to worry about that at all no you're talking five six thousand feet oh know, okay four to six three to th- I mean, even two to six thousand feet depending on what you're hunting and where oh, so wow. pretty low um, and that's something to know if you're sighting in your gun, right? You've got to, especially if you're coming from Idaho or somewhere where you're going to be shooting mm-hmm. Colorado, 10, 11,000 feet, you know, big difference there. Um, but tactics for the different animals, I mean, it's, it depends a lot on the area and we don't have probably have time to go into each of those, but you know, I'd say generally most of New Zealand is spot and stock, right? With nice. the red stag, if you're there during the, uh, the rut, you're going to hear them. They call it the roar. You're going to hear this really unique kind of noise, like a really low mm-hmm. guttural roar. You can just look it up on YouTube. It's really cool to watch. Um, I was hoping you'd make the sound. I know. This time I went for it. I didn't even pause. I just went right into it. Is it good? It worked out? Like that? No, I can do a better one, but I, I don't really want to give it a shot here. <laughs> but uh, you'll hear them, you know, and you can go after them that way. That's, you know, like elk hunting, bugling. It's kind of the exception, not the rule. Yeah, uh, to get those conditions. But so 90% of the time you're ridge running, you're up high, you're glassing. Uh, in there, the thing I learned is the terrain is so varied and so broken. You know, the, you're going to spend most of your time trying to get into different areas to see places. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, and the animals, again, they're generally more active in the morning and the evening and all that stuff. Um, red stag, you know, they can be difficult sometimes in the roar too because they stay in the thick stuff, which is... Mm-hmm especially hard for rifle hunting, a little easier bow hunting. You got to stock in close. Um, the one thing I would say that I definitely learned is the difference of hunting uh, stags and uh, tar in areas where they do helicopter hunting. Mm-hmm. So we talked about it is legal. The government pays guys to do it just to take down population numbers. And there are um, lodges, these ultra high wealthy paid lodges that do take guys out and just shoot stuff out of helicopters. So the animals there have learned it's really interesting. In the evening and the morning, you'll see them come out of the tree line just to right above it. And they hear a helicopter, they see a plane, they dive back into the trees. Whoa. Right. So I learned pretty quick that if you're in the north end of the island, southern, you know, South Island or the North Island, where that isn't really a thing, you're going to see them feed. They'll stay really high, especially tar. They'll stay way up top and you'll see mm-hmm. them come down in the evening versus in the South Island, you see them go up. Wow. So that's a good tip for guys that are going after you know, after tar. Um, so just watching that behavior is interesting. 
Uh, and then you know, the other thing I would say is that uh, New Zealand was one of those places that taught me to stop and look because mm-hmm. there's so many different faucets or fa- uh, facets to that terrain where you'll turn around and you can see animals behind you um, and they move. They're extremely active more than there's so many of them. And there's uh, just so much area that unlike the U S where they're kind of limited in their, they have their habits, they kind of get pushed around. Mm-hmm. So they'll move during the day. They'll filter into places you were just in. Uh, you have to change your mindset as to like how you look for animals a little bit down in New Zealand. Gotcha. And then those animals, chamois, tar, stag, how's their vision? How's their, their smell? Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, amazing, solid. And you don't, you know, you definitely don't want to go to New Zealand and have the expectation, oh, this will be easy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they're, I mean, they're, they're animals, they're hunted. They're all hunted by gov- paid government folks, right. uh, by you, by you know, Kiwis. They're, they know what's going on. So very, very keen sight. I'd say the, the chamois and the tar probably have the best sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the red stag, you know, pretty good, but especially if they're in the rut, they're not as worried about, about folks, but you know, I wouldn't say it's enough to change tactics between yeah. the three. You just got to really stay out of sight and mm-hmm. be, be quiet, all the good stuff downwind, you know, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, dang. Oh, it sounds like such an adventure. If you, yeah. if someone were to, to, put the money down and like plan the trip what's a minimum number of days you'd say was is good enough i mean you could do a week it really wouldn't be a problem especially if you you know because the flights are so easy with that overnight thing mm-hmm. uh but i think if you're going to make that trip i'd i'd rather go for 10 days or two weeks yeah it's really hard for most guys myself included sometimes to take that much time off work mm-hmm. uh but it's if you're going to do that it's it's not much more expensive to add the extra week right yeah, the vast yeah. majority of your cost is getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, renting, you know, cars and vans—they're pretty easy. You can, you know, if we talked about backpacking food before, I already believe you should be buying most of it at the grocery store. It's really easy to do there. Uh, just go to the grocery store, buy stuff. Um, Kiwis are unbelievably friendly people, like so genuine and amazing. At least all the ones I've run across too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really fun just to get to know the people's you know, stop in, spend some extra time in a little bed and breakfast. Uh, you know, it'll be like $40 a night. You can really, you can really have a good time. Wow. So I'd say just take it, make it an adventure, enjoy it. You know, especially with the working remote thing. Hopefully that sticks around. A lot of guys can, you know, parlay that, but uh, yeah, I would say a week's doable, but I would, I would aim for two. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah it sounds like such a cool adventure. Um, Wait, wasn't New Zealand? This is totally random thought. Uh, I think I had a friend who went there. Was that where Lord of the Rings was filmed? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So that's that's the kind of terrain. If you look at Lord of the Rings, you see that epic, beautiful, gnarly mountain terrain. Um, a lot of that's New Zealand. Gotcha. So just think Lord of the Rings. I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff you'll see tar in. Um, and it is. I mean, it's cool to have free reign to run up and down that. It's yeah. an incredible feeling. That's amazing. Uh, is there anything that we missed that we should have covered? I think that's it. We might have missed you know, some little logistics about um, you can Google you know, a lot of this stuff. There's not a ton of information on the exact places to go. I'd say that's probably the hardest thing for guys, but mm-hmm. you know, contacting uh, different folks. And I'll, I'll put a peg in for my buddy who's down there who also guides. His name's Zane Murfin, uh, Strike Adventure. Um, incredible incredible guy we all we call him the mayor of new zealand because everywhere every town he went to he knew like 20 people um, he was a councilman Whoa. he wrote a column the fishing you know the hook and bullet column for 
all of Nelson, New Zealand for years. He's incredible, incredible guy. So it, you know, it can be worth your money just to get a guide or someone even just offer someone like Zane, you know, Hey, I'll pay you know, a few hundred bucks to give me a few locations to go to. Right. And I think he would do that in a heartbeat. Other guys would do that because uh, there's, there's so much land down there. Um, yeah. That's probably the hardest part. And I would say just get on forums, talk to other people. Yeah. So yeah. How much re- like in terms of research load or like to, to plan something like this compared to Hawaii or compared to elk out of state elk, where would you put this at? I put it, it just depends on your approach. If you're going to do, uh, if you're going to do helicopters, you kind of get some of that with the rental of the helicopter. So, you know, at least that they're going to drop you off on a place that there's hunters, especially tar stuff. Tar stuff is very, you know, in one distinct area in the South Island. So they, they go on and see the helicopter pilots are like, well, we've got these 40 spots and we've already got guys in these 20s. So you have to go to one of these, you know, mm-hmm. so they kind of shuttle you in. Um, so that's one, if you're going to do DIY, I think it's more about just watching a ton of New Zealand hunting videos. There's a lot of really good ones. Um, trust me, I've watched way too many. Uh, and just looking at the type of terrain that's there. And mm-hmm. honestly, you can't really screw up as far as the location. It's not, not like the US where there's great areas and bad areas. If you find somewhere that's, you know, in the middle of an area that doesn't have roads and you got to hike in or fly in with a helicopter and it looks somewhat like the terrain you're seeing people hunt on YouTube, you're good to go. Okay. Don't, the train, the selection isn't the hard part gotcha. um, of this trip. Yeah. Yeah. sounds like the big decisions to make is uh, first ones, whether you want to go DIY or guided mm-hmm. second is bow or rifle and maybe, maybe both. And then third is helicopter, no helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, you explained it. It sounds like if you, I, I would lean towards helicopter because then you also get the locations, which mm-hmm. if locations is the hardest part to get, maybe it's worth it. Yeah. Just do helicopter. Totally. And there's not a huge market. There's not many hunting guides that cater to DIY guides down there. Most of the time you hear hunting guides on these caged stags, which by the way, a little side thing is that the reason there's so many caged stags is a huge market for the horn for the Asian market. Hmm. Um, oh, as a like uh, potions and stuff, potions that sort of thing. So they, <laughs> there's tons and tons of farms that already raise red stags for that oh, purpose, mm-hmm. and their whole thing is to make giant horns on stags, gotcha. right, which turns out is very, very good for hunters too, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's what happens. You, but unfortunately, you don't see many guides outside of those settings because that's most of the people that are going to just fly down there. They want a canned hunt, mm-hmm. uh, which is sad but so you can take a little more effort to try to find a diy guide kiwis are super informal if you haven't figured it out by the helicopters in the garage thing <laughs> really and then pull up multiple places and they pull the helicopter out on skids um also don't don't fly a, an r22 just just look up helicopter death statistics the r44s and the bell 500s they almost never go down the r22s different story find a guy that has the money to invest in an r44 or bell 500 just leave it at that um but they don't uh yeah i forgot totally lost my train of thought from where i was <laughs> <laughs> i think you were saying they're they're super friendly oh the guides uh yeah yeah they're very it's very informal mm-hmm. so like call up a fishing guide like email a fishing guide fly fishing guide because there's a lot of independent fishing guides it's probably a bigger fly fishing destination than it is hunting by far yeah. Um, paying them be like, Hey, do you do guiding for hunting stuff in the off season? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, do you know, someone who does, you know, or yeah. you know, can you, can I pay you a hundred dollars to jump on the phone for an hour and just give me pointers? You know, like that's, mm-hmm. 
that's the gritty type of stuff you can do and really get some great results. So, yeah. Yeah. Dang. That sounds awesome. Um, Good stuff. Yeah. Would you say it's risky? Uh, like adventure wise? Cause you know, like I, I feel like adventure and risk sometimes go hand in hand but by the sound of like the flash floods or like yeah. dangerous helicopters. I mean, it's we're, not we're, safe, but it wouldn't be fun if it was safe, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not risk-free, I should say. It's, yeah. it's relatively safe. I think the, if you're going, I, if you haven't been before, I would really hesitate to say, go down there, fly in a helicopter, totally solo. Right. Thing, right. That's, that's pretty intense. It's doable, but like the guy that's going to do that already doesn't care about risk anyway, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you're going with a few buddies, a buddy or two, and you have an EPIRB, you're, you're in good hands. Okay. Right, you're gonna, you'll be fine. Um, it's no big deal because, like I said, if something goes bad, you've got the perb. If you, you know, it's not like anything's gonna kill you. You just have to be smart about water. You know, you cross a creek, you have to think that it's like New Mexico or something. There can be a flash flood or a storm up drainage, and the creek comes up, and you can't cross it to get home that night. I see. Um, so you just have to think about that. Keep your stuff on your back and uh, be prepared for rain. Yeah, uh, you know, all the times I've been there. I tend to go mid early fall and weather's pretty good, but, uh, you know, again, that'd be a great way to talk to a guide about the dates you want to deal with yeah, um, or just, you know, look up a Kiwi hunting forum, ping some Kiwis. They're really friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of guys, there's a few of these newer DIY guides as this stuff started to catch on. They started posting stuff on YouTube and I'm very sure they would have a conversation with you, you know, trying to get you as a lead. So nice. Uh, and they're smart. pretty friendly towards Americans. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. They're really, fr- I mean, just incredible uh, folks. And there's not, there's no tension there. Like there can be in other com- countries about politics. I mean, New Zealand's kind of just off on its own, doing its own thing. So yeah. <laughs> generally pretty friendly. The, uh, nice. the only thing they, uh, they've done is like completely locked the country down with COVID. Oh it's yeah. yeah, be yeah. A bit. But you know, by the time this gets out, we're kind of already bordering on the season anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, this is one that's good to plan about a year in advance. So that's why I think this is a timely episode is it gets guys that are bored, stuck inside right now can start dreaming and scheming and doing the research for, you know, once in a lifetime trip. And I don't, I think as far as the adventure quotient of any hunting trip I've done, it's, it's far and away. Number one, dang, like a new country, totally crazy terrain, unique animals. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. All right, Baxter. Well, if you need a buddy next year. Yeah, exactly. There we go. We'll do the, uh, the Bowman trip to New Zealand. That'd be <laughs> that pretty, uh, we'll definitely have to do that one at some point. Yeah. It's on my list. For oh, sure. that would be so sweet. Um, and then last question, how's the, how's chamois tar red stag? How do they taste? Really good. The, oh, uh, nice. The chamois, the chamois could taste a little goaty. Mm-hmm. If I'm going, you know, worst to best, the chamois is like, eh, okay. It can taste a little bit funk. Um, pronghorn where it's like some people love it some people don't is red like stag is like stink deep. of like lamb like that lamb stink or uh, yeah i mean it's it's not bad it's okay. just got a little gaminess to it you know okay so yeah. it's not like the best um and honestly the chamois are small they're unique with this really cool looking horns but for some reason the kiwis they're one of the hardest to find a big one of so the kiwis view them as like the ultimate trophy but i think oh. most u.s hunters would be like eh, you know mm-hmm. Um, red stag, really good, tasty. They're deer, you know, they're going to be somewhere between a deer and an elk in taste mm-hmm. and in size, right? They're kind of somewhere in there. And they have these really cool palmated horns that they get big, which means, you know, like the palm of your hand, oh. there's this flat section with little spikes coming out of it. Okay. Um, which is a really cool look. 
so they're good and then the tar by far is the tastiest yeah wow. really good yeah i love the tar any i mean any mountain goat's known for its taste but the tar is uh they're tasty yeah i bring as much of that back as you can Dang, so many reasons. So many reasons to go. Oh my goodness. So many reasons. Yep. No, it's, uh, we ate we ate like animals because he the the guy I was with took a lot of the meat himself. Um and I, I took some, but we we also just ate <laughs> so much meat when we were there. Yeah. Uh, oh, I guess uh sorry, I lied. Not uh, I got one more question. Not last. All right. Yeah. Uh in terms of the guide, what what are the etiquettes there? Like, do you leave most of the meat with them? Do they look like a horn stuff like that like is there stuff people should know about that you know it's again it's the one that's going to shock us hunters but the etiquette in new zealand is leave it on the ground most of the time well um, they the guys there almost exclusively take back straps and hind legs whoa they don't, they don't even mess around they actually the new zealand the shot from new zealand that all the guides will tell you to take is put it through the front leg oh really they don't they won't eat that meat and they want that animal completely disabled and down instantly and that is a that is a lights out shot. If you go through both forelegs and directly through the heart lungs, that's a yeah. drop in its tracks every time. That's mm -hmm. a DRT, right? Dead right there. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what they want you to do. That's how they hunt. That's how they do it. Um, your scene is very, very funky and weird if you want to try to eat the entire animal. Mm -hmm. um, they don't, I mean, I guess you literally will go to a hunting spot. We flew into one and there were 300 carcasses. Wow the doc, you know, doc had come in and gunned down everything. And so we went the valley over, right? So it's not, it's very common to see that. Yeah. So a whole different part of the world, a whole different set of rules, no tags, doing it. bunch yeah. of animals, crazy adventure. Dang. Yeah. That's cool. Good stuff. Yeah. So hopefully that gives guys something to get fired up about, think about, um, saving really appreciate them. guys tuning in and, you know, keeping the, keeping the stoke alive in the off season, right? Totally. Man, I'm so excited. After every one of these recordings, I just want to hunt. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's uh it's hard to talk about these ones yeah. right now. Soon enough. Soon enough. So we'll start planning for next year. Uh, <laughs> cool. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Um, keeping the stoke alive, as Baxter says. And uh again, if you like our show, please leave us a nice review or five star rating would be awesome and then yeah email us we'll, we'll get to them we we read them yeah sure do happy to talk new zealand hopefully i don't get like 30 emails though <laughs> yeah and hopefully zane doesn't get just blown up completely but also maybe oh i hope so i mean he's a guide right that'd be great yeah that's true that's true great family man a few kids i mean i could not say more about him so zane if you're listening i hope to meet you someday soon <laughs>